The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Sleep. Sleep is an incredible thing. And I, I don't know, is anyone in here um, a passionate napper? Do we have any passionate nappers? I'm not talking like a snooze on the couch because golf is on. Okay, I'm not talking that. <laughs> I'm talking like get back into your pajamas in the middle of the day, get in your bed, pull all the covers on top, and pretend it's like hibernation season, okay? Like the type where you wake up, like that's not a successful nap unless you wake up and don't know what month it is, okay? Anyone like that kind of passionate napper? Let's see here. Don't be ashamed of yourselves. Okay, that right there, that is a nap. That's what also, by the way, it's Sunday afternoons were meant for, by the way, just an encouragement. Somewhere in the Bible, I don't know where it is. There you go. And that's my sermon for the day. That's all you needed here. No. Um... I, I love sleep and, and sleeplessness, man, that is really tough. And especially when there's no good reason to not be sleeping, there's just like nothing keeping you awake. Maybe it's just internal wrestling or anxiety or, or things going on in your world and you're just staring at the ceiling or you keep waking up or you're technically sleeping but it's restless. And that is the type of, of thing that falls under the umbrella of, that's a bigger than just sleep, it's the umbrella of rest, right? Like sleep is one thing, but w- can you agree with me that rest is like a larger category that sleep it, it fits into? Rest has to do with circumstances. Rest has to do with all the things going on in your life. Rest has to do with a deep peace that goes all the way down into your heart, into your soul, and it relates to massive quadrants of your life relationships, emotions, maybe finances, maybe career. It's emotional. It's spiritual. These are the deep waters that are often turbulent. And it's dealing with those waters, not just sleeping, that's a piece of it, but the deep down rest in our hearts. That is the most elusive. And really, everything can go be, be going well in life, but that kind of rest can be disrupted. We can have a deep down restlessness that we're fighting. Now, here's the good news. There's a, a part of this story in the book of Ruth in chapter 3 where Ruth gets a glimpse of rest, of what it would take to get rest. And if we understand what this chapter of the Bible is presenting, so what God is presenting about rest, if we can understand that, we can access true, actual, literal, deep down soul rest. That's actually what's at stake with this passage. You you may walk out of here today if you hear this passage accessing the idea of rest to a degree that you never have before. I want to take a look at what happens in this section of the story. We're in Ruth chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. So if you have your Bible with you or a Bible app, 
Go ahead and open to Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. We're also going to have it up here on the screens. Ruth 3, verse 1. Here's what it says. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek... What's that word there? Rest. Should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Okay, let's pause there, and I want to give you the 90-second review in case you're just now joining us as to where we are in the Ruth story. Let's start with Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law. Naomi is a woman from Israel. She lived in the tribe of Judah, the town of Bethlehem, and she was married to a man named Elimelech. They had two sons. They leave the country of Israel, and they go to the country of Moab. While they're there, tragedy strikes Naomi terribly. She not only loses her husband Elimelech, but after her two sons had both married Moabite women, both her sons die as well. So she's lost her husband and her two sons. That's an incredible tragedy she's grieving through, but it also means in that ancient society, she's economically devastated with no way to provide for herself. She decides to leave Moab, go back to her home country of Israel, go back to her hometown. And as she's leaving, one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, the Moabite girl, pleads with her to take her with Naomi. And Naomi leaves, takes Ruth, and the two of them go back to Israel. Now Ruth finds herself in a country completely foreign to her. She doesn't know anyone, doesn't know the customs, doesn't know the religion. She doesn't know anything about it. But she's living there. Ruth says, why don't I go into some nearby fields and glean? That was one of the practices for an impoverished family that they could do. Gleaning is where you go behind the reapers at harvest time, and it happened to be harvest time. Go behind the reapers and you pick up, pick up the leftovers, and you survive on the leftovers that are, le- that are left behind. You survive on that with your family. Ruth goes in the fields. By God's hand, she ends up in Boaz's field. Now, we learn that Boaz is a godly man. He's successful. He is wise, and he's extremely generous. He takes notice of Ruth, this foreigner, this young Moabite girl, this young widow. He takes notice of her, and he's extremely generous, says, stay here. You'll be safe and provided for. Stay gleaning in, in my fields. And so all through the harvest we find um, Ruth is providing for her mother-in-law, Naomi, by gleaning and by the generosity of Boaz. Right before the last chapter ended, last week, Naomi said something to Ruth. She said, whose fields are you in that you're getting all this stuff? She says, I'm in Boaz's field. And and, uh, Naomi says to Ruth, he's a close relative of my husband's. In fact, he is a redeemer, is the word that she used. Now, before we see anything that's about to happen, that gets us caught up, we've got to understand the significance of the role of a redeemer in this ancient society, okay? Because what Naomi says is, hey, um, let's get you settled, and remember, Boaz is a relative of my husband's before he passed away. He's a relative. We don't know if it's a cousin, distant relative. We don't know, but it is a relative of Naomi's husband. Now, here's the role of a redeemer, someone in Boaz's situation. A redeemer would step in 
when something bad happened in his relative's family. So potentially, a lot of it was surrounding debt. If someone had lended to another one, there's not banks, so it would be like to another person in town. Um, if that person had gotten a loan from someone else in town and then they couldn't pay back their loan, a couple things would happen. Their property would be like the ancient version of foreclosed on. And now the lender has control of that property. Now imagine the situation that puts you in because it's not just your house, it's also your business. They're your fields. So if you owe money, the lender has rights to your fields, but how are you not only going to survive, but make money to pay off your loan? So a redeemer, a family member, cousin, brother, uncle would step in, buy your property back for you so that you can work the field and then you settle it inside your family. Maybe there's some financial gain in there for the redeemer, but you're just happy that you can work your fields. It would be a scenario like that. He pays back the debt. Maybe um, someone goes into debt and then a member of their family has to have indentured servitude. In other words, okay, um, you're in debt, but that member of your family has to work for me until you pay off the debt. The redeemer, the family member would step in, pay the debt so that that person can come home and then you work it out within the family. There's another layer to being a redeemer. There's different elements of being a redeemer, but there's another layer that is more foreign to our culture because we can imagine a scenario like that where you step in and help a family member. But there's another layer to, to the redemption laws in ancient Israel. If a woman did not have children and she lost her husband, that means the husband's line and the fields and the inheritance that have been passed down to him for generations is going to end now unless a redeemer steps in. And what would happen is some, a member of the, the husband's family, a brother, cousin, would actually then marry his brother's widow so that her brother's, the, his brother's line can continue on. So there's even a scenario in which a redeemer marries this person as a way of redeeming that family. That last sense is what Naomi has in mind here. She says, hey, Ruth, we've gotten through this whole harvest season, and, uh, you know, this guy Boaz, I don't know if you've uh, taken notice of him, but he's been awfully generous, Ruth. And, I mean, his name is Boaz. I mean, he's a strong, big, strong guy. I mean, he's settled, he's successful. I thought he was pretty good looking. I don't know what you thought, Ruth. And she says, uh, let I think we need to get you settled, but look at the wording she uses. She says, I want to help you find rest. It's more than just, I'd love for you to find a husband, or I'd love for you to, to be the mother of children. It's more than that. In this case, it's, she belongs now then into a household. If, if Boaz would marry her, she would belong in a household. It would affect, she would have a way of providing for her family. She has a future and she, she, would, be, she would be loved. She would have children. All, it's just a wholesale rest to all of Ruth's circumstances. So Naomi, being a good mother-in-law, devises a matchmaking scheme, Okay. Let's see what happens. Take a look at verse 3. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, 
and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replies, all that you say, I will do. All right, now time out for a second. Hang on there, Naomi, okay? Ruth just got a little steamy, this story here, okay? Anyone else like a little uncomfortable with this plan, okay? Okay, let's just get something straight off the bat. Okay, ladies, if you're single, okay, and he just won't propose, okay, that guy that you're dating, this is not a good plan in our culture, okay? Please don't sneak into his house uncover his feet and just stand, okay, you'll, you'll get arrested, it's illegal, okay, let's just get that settled, okay, now, I know that this seems like a little strange, okay, but there's some cultural things that help us understand the dynamic here, okay, first of all, let's start with this, Ruth needs to have a private conversation with Boaz, and this is not a time period where Ruth can just pull Boaz aside after work and be like, hey, could we uh, go grab coffee sometime? You know, just, just hit Starbucks. I'd love to just have a, a conversation, just have some things I'm thinking about. That, that's not the custom, okay? She, in fact, um, at this time period, men and women wouldn't have private conversations in public. It, it would be assumed that that was inappropriate. She needs to have a very intimate conversation with him. Secondly, Let's get the context here of a threshing floor and what this whole scene is. Take a look at uh, this picture here. This is an ancient threshing floor, okay? You can see it's a large circle. It would be paved. This would be a threshing floor probably the whole town or community would use. It's in a very um, public place out in the open, probably sometimes near the city gates, sometimes up on a hill. The reason is because they are winnowing their grain, so there's a big pile of grain, they've got pitchforks, they're tossing it in the air, and it needs to be out in the open so that the breeze can come through and blow the chaff, the little filaments around the grain that you don't want, it will blow it away. So it's out in the open, it's a very public place, and the setting is it's the end of harvest, they're all, there's this big piles of grain that Boaz and his people are all winnowing, and it's a celebration. They're, it's hard work, but they're celebrating. This is like our pull for the year. This is going to support us for months. So they would winnow during the day, and then there'd be a feast that night. They would, you know, eat some food. They would drink some wine. They would celebrate how God had provided for them. And then it says, watch where he falls, goes to sleep at the threshing floor. Okay, it's not that they've partied so hard that they passed out on the threshing floor. This, you know, Boaz, good godly man, he partied responsibly, okay? And then they're literally going to camp out. They're going to sleep on mats on the threshing floor in order to sleep by the grain to protect it. This is their income for the year. So this is not only out in the open, it's at night, but 
Boaz is not alone. There's going to be people sleeping around on the threshing floor that night until they're done winnowing all of the grain. The game plan is Ruth goes, waits for him to go to sleep. She's going to uncover his feet. That's a symbol. And then she's going to lie down at his feet and see what happens and how the conversation takes place. Okay, here's how it goes down. Look at this. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So Ruth does everything Naomi asks. Remember Naomi says, hey, all right, I want you to wash up. I want you to anoint yourself with oil, you know. Do your makeup, get some perfume on, put on your cloak, put on your, your good weekend cloak, okay? <laughs> Date night cloak. Put on your cloak, because remember, Boaz has only seen her when she's come off the fields reaping, okay? We're not talking like cute workout clothes, we're like gardening clothes, okay? So it says, get dressed up, she does that, she goes in to, to the threshing floor, Boaz lays down next to the pile of grain. She uncovers his feet and she lays down. Now it says about midnight he was startled awake. Okay. My daughter, almost um, five years old, um, when she wakes up in the middle of the night and she's scared or she's had a bad dream, she comes to my side of the bed and she creeps into the room, okay, she goes all the way around to my side, and then typically, this is how I get woken up from a dead sleep. She goes, okay, I'm going to be honest, that's not my favorite, okay? But there's another way that she has recently woken me up that's even less my favorite. About a week ago, she's never done this before, she crept into my, into my room and Rebecca and I are dead asleep, okay, and she, on my side, stands up on the bed rail and leans down into my face, okay? Now, typically, when she wakes up, I see this three-foot silhouette, and I know it's my daughter, but there's this face leaning in, and she just stays there, doesn't touch me, and watches me, Okay? I lost a couple years of my life in that moment, okay? This is what happens 
to Boaz, okay? He just all of a sudden feels this presence. He's startled awake. Who are you? And, you know, Ruth probably lets him stop hyperventilating, okay? She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. And then um, she says, cover, your, cover me with your wings for your redeemer. Now, the same Hebrew phrase for your, cover me with your wings is the same wording for cover me with the edge of your, your garment. So you notice she's just taken the edge of his garment and, and uncovered it. She's saying, cover me with your garment. That whole symbol is, it would be clear to anyone exactly what she's asking me, asking of him. Not just, he would know, this is what Ruth is asking me. He's, she's not just asking me to redeem her in a debt setting. She's asking me to redeem her in, in the terms of marrying her. Boaz knows what this means. And so then he goes on this long speech, which you got to say, he's pretty articulate for being woken up in the middle of the night there, okay? <laughs> he gives this long speech, but here's what you have to see. Imagine how vulnerable that is for Ruth. She's this foreign Moabite girl here in, in Israel. She's got to be thinking like, why would anyone want to take notice of me? At least of all, Boaz. Like, why, why would he even take notice? I mean, maybe she's like talking to Naomi and Naomi's gotten her all psyched up and she's putting on her cloak and then she's walking to the threshing floor and with each step she's like, what am I doing? Like, there's, there's the potential for massive rejection because there is, in the law, redeemers, there's an out clause if a redeemer doesn't want to marry the person, it can go to the next redeemer. There's an out clause. I mean, she's got to be lying there waiting for Boaz to wake up thinking, what have I done? Of course he's going to say, are you serious? No, thank you. Go back home. What are you doing here? Imagine, like, we read it as if that sentence just came flowing out of her. I mean, she's probably stammering through that sentence of, hey, would you cover me with the corner of your garment? You're a redeemer. Like, is there like a lump in her throat as she's realizing how vulnerable this is to ask? And then look what Boaz says. Did you notice? He says, me? Ruth, you could have gone after anyone. Me? Wow, I'm so honored. I, I can't even believe you'd, you'd think of me. He says, everyone knows you're a worthy woman. If you've ever read through the book of Proverbs, the very last chapter, Proverbs 31, it talks about what an excellent wife or an excellent woman looks like. And it's basically like the Old Testament version of the ultimate woman. And it's about the character of an, of an excellent woman. That's the exact wording Boaz is using here. When he says worthy woman. He says, everyone knows you're like the, the ultimate uh, you're asking me of all people? Um, I mean, look at this as one of the most beautiful interactions in the whole book. Here, Ruth is putting herself out there because, and she's going to be like, why would he want me with all my baggage and my background? Why would he want me? And Ruth is saying, and she says that to Boaz, and then Boaz is saying, she's, I'm so honored that she would think of me to do that. And then he says, go back to sleep. I will take care of this in the morning but I've got to make sure there's a, there's a redeemer that's closer to you, and legally, I have to talk to him first. Can you imagine they went back to sleep? They probably didn't sleep at all that night. She's laying by his feet, and she's like, 
what did I say? Did I say everything right? Maybe misunderstood. And he's like, did she say what I think she just said? And they're both just laying there still. Can you imagine? That's an incredible moment. Now watch how the rest of the chapter plays out. Skip over to verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not, what's that word? The man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. They, uh, Ruth gets up in the morning before light is, uh, happens, and Boaz says, and it kind of shows you that they're not the only ones there. He says, hey, uh, let's protect Ruth's reputation. No one needs to know that she came down here t- tonight. And then he says, Ruth, bring, bring me your cloak. And she, op- she probably pulls um, her, like, her outer cloak out like this and ties it together, and he pours out six measures of barley. He says, I want you to show this to your mother-in-law. This is kind of a promise that I am going to work to become your redeemer. You know what that is? That's basically like an ancient Israelite engagement ring. So ladies, instead of an engagement ring, consider <laughs> barley. I'm just, it's, you know, historic. Just consider. Timeless, really, barley. And so he gives her the barley. She goes back to Naomi. She tells all, you know, you can imagine them, what did he say? You didn't come back. So I figured things, you know, you were talking to Boaz and what happened? And this is what he said. And he gave me this barley. And then Naomi says, you just watch. He will not rest until he sorts this matter out. Now, what was Naomi trying to do through this whole thing? She was trying to find Ruth rest. And all these categories, taking, you know, her, the, the financially, the ec- economics, to pull, it pulls her out of poverty. It, 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 she finds a home to belong to. She, she, she'll be in, a, in a, a home that worships Yahweh, so it has a spiritual um, element to it. She she's now belongs to a, a family in this country. There's so many things in parts of her life that she finds rest in this situation. But this story is explained to us what redemption looks like. And the and like the pinnacle of this whole section is where Ruth is putting herself out there saying, "Hey, would would you redeem me? Would you marry me?" And in all the vulnerability, Boaz has the right to say, uh, no. He has the, the, the right to say, well, okay, I, I, I will, I guess it's my duty to do that, to marry you. But what does he say? He says, me? Man, I, I, I can't believe you want me. I will not rest until I make this happen. Can you imagine how that made Ruth 
feel how honored, how treasured. The, the beauty of this redemption is that she feels so cherished, so honored, so treasured. We've been talking through this series about this idea of reclaiming things. It's like an old, a piece of wood that gets reclaimed, a piece of wood that gets discarded. It's like the fence wood up here that spells out reclaimed. This would have all been in a trash heap somewhere, but skilled craftsmen took this and said, no, we can make something out of this. And, and that's what happens when something gets reclaimed or gets redeemed. It's something that's been tossed aside, something that's been forgotten about, something that's been overlooked, something that's considered trash. And someone gets a hold of it and says, no, this is a treasure. This is a value. This is valuable to me. That's what redemption is. That's a vivid picture of redemption. That's what it looks like for Ruth to find rest. But did you notice for her to find rest, her Redeemer has to not rest? We all know about um, restlessness, there are deep waters of restlessness in our circumstances. That we, that we face. Maybe always. There's career restlessness. So it's like, oh man, I'm in this job and I, I just, man, I, I, I thought, I, I dreamed my career would be different than this. And now I've ended up in this job, this was supposed to be temporary, but now it's, it's long term. Or, or no, I'm looking for a job and when am I going to find a job? When am I going to find a company that wants my skills or, or wants my background or my expertise? And I, I just, I want to find that job. Or maybe like I, I'm in that career that I want, but I thought I'd be so much farther and there's some things I've messed up and, and I've been overlooked at times. I'm just so frustrated because I'm not farther along in my career. And it's not just from the provision standpoint. There can be this deep restlessness that says, look, I, this is not what I envisioned for my life. It's deep restlessness. There's relational restlessness. It's someone saying, look, I, I'm single and I, I just, I'm waiting to find that special somebody's. I, I want to be somebody's somebody. I'm just, I'm waiting for that person in my life that will, will just treasure me or, or will honor me or waiting for that person that will respect me and look up to me and admire me. I'm waiting for that person that is just as honored to be with me as I am to be with them. And I'm, I'm waiting and, and God, I, I'm, it's a good thing that I'm waiting for, isn't there? And just, there's this deep restlessness. Or maybe you're in that relationship. Maybe you've been married for a long time and you're hit that point where you're like, you know, I, I don't feel like honored and respected anymore or admired or I don't feel pursued or cherished or treasured anymore and I, I used to at one point but now I just feel lonely within this marriage and maybe you're saying look I, there's just this deep relational restlessness I, I want to look into someone's eyes and see eyes that are looking back at me admiringly there's relational restlessness but there's also spiritual restlessness it's the sense of, man, I'm trying, but I never feel like I'm doing enough spiritually. There's moments where I feel like I'm good and I'm a good Christian. And then, there's, and then very quickly I mess up and like, oh, I'm the worst. 
Or I feel like a good person today, and then I feel like a, a bad person the next day, and I feel back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes I feel like, man, I know God loves me, and then sometimes I feel like, God, you, I know you're so disappointed in me. And I'm up and down, up and down, and there's this, this spiritual restlessness with guilt and shame and my past and my present and the things that I can't get through, and there's this deep down restlessness. We know about restlessness, and we long more than just sleep we long deep down to find that rest there's a one of the ancient church fathers you know that that city saint augustine in in north florida it's the the man that that was named for his name is augustine and he's one of the most profound theological pillars of the ancient church. And I want to read you, I want to read you what, what he said. Look at this quote by Augustine. He said it like this, talking to God. Thou hast made us for thyself, and restless is our heart until it comes to rest in thee. He says, God, you made us, you wired us so that you are the answer for our lives. You've, you've created us and wired us, and as our creator, we are wired to need you. And so in the meantime, we're restless. Nothing will give us rest. We can never find the rest that deep down we're looking for. We are restless until our hearts come and find rest in you, God. He brings us rest. But there's a problem. There's a wedge between us and God. It's a debt. Him being almighty creator God who invented each one of us means that he has the patent rights over us. He copyrights us. He owns us. We belong to him, which means that we owe him our worship, our lives, our goals, our dreams. We, we can't come up with our own moral code, our own system, our own beliefs. We owe it to him. And since all of us fail, we say, God, this seems right to me, and I'll toss you a couple prayers. That'll make you happy, right? And that is an infinite insult and crime against our, the almighty God, our creator. So that's a debt a debt of sin that every one of us is facing an eternity in hell to pay for that sin, every one of us. But there's a Redeemer. One that looks down at us and says, I will pay your debt in full, past, present, and future. The Son of God, Jesus, came to earth as our Redeemer, dies a torturous death on the cross, rose again from the dead and said, your sin debt, I've redeemed it. It's paid in full. Now come into my household. And here's what he says to each one of us. This is in Matthew chapter 11, 28. Listen to this. Jesus' words to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you want to find rest today? Can I tell you there's a way you find rest? It's from your Redeemer. Whether this is the first time you're hearing this or the billionth time you need to find your rest in Jesus because it's probably the case that your restlessness with your career, this is not what my life I was envisioning. I thought I'd be farther along or I thought that we'd be more financially stable or I'd be making more money or I'd have a more prestigious career path or thought I'd be in the career that I wanted to and and all of that is because probably deep down you're saying, because I want my life to matter and I want it to mean something, and you're probably trying to find that meaning. Find that identity by what you do. And when that's leaving you with a restlessness, you've got to understand that the Redeemer is saying to you, you are my treasure. Do you not know how much I love you? As we come to our Redeemer and say, will will you... Redeem me. He says, do you not know what great lengths I will go to redeem you? Jesus surrenders his rest so that you and I may find rest. Do you not know that he says, no, your identity is in that you are treasured by Almighty God, the one who holds the universe together. You are treasured, precious, loved by Jesus Christ. That is your identity. You are his What else could possibly compare? Find rest there. Is it that relationship that you're saying, look, I'm bouncing from relationship to relationship and I'm I'm trying to find rest in that special someone who sees me as their special someone and I'm, I'm trying to find that from a spouse or from this boyfriend or girlfriend or back and forth. I'm trying to find my significance and my identity in being precious to someone. And do you not know the treasure of heaven gave up heaven because you are his treasure. Do you not know he came down was suffered so greatly because he said, you are my treasure and if that is true, what could possibly compare with that? Do you not know, maybe you're here trying to find your identity and your self-worth and look, I'm a good Christian. Look at all the things I've done and look at all the things I know and look at the position that I serve in in my church and look at how I have this area disciplined and look at this area that I've conquered of sin. Do you know you're just setting yourself up with restlessness because it's not about what you do to earn God's acceptance. It's about what he did that accepts you in fully. You have the righteousness of Christ. It's settled. You are valuable and treasured by God himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. The issue is settled. You are valuable and precious to him. How could you try and find that from any other imitation source? Find rest in your Redeemer today. Let me ask you a question like this. I want you to think about who you'd be willing to die for. Now, we would never know when it comes right down to it, but I think we'd like to think there's a handful of people we, we'd die for. Some family, some loved ones. But let, me ask you, let, me, let me ask you another question. Who would you torturously die for? Smaller number, maybe. 
Who would you be publicly shamed and humiliated while being torturously killed? Who would you do that for? Who would you be willing to be abandoned by everyone you love? Have them utterly turn their back on you in disgust? Leave you completely alone to be publicly shamed and humiliated, tortured and killed? Who would you do that for? Because that's what your Redeemer did for you. That's how much He loves you. He surrendered His rest so you might find rest. Do you know who you are because of Jesus? He's inviting you to come to Him. Whether for the first time or the billionth time. Find rest. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? I want to talk specifically to a group of you who are here that have never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you have never, ever in your life said, okay, I've tried to be religious, I've tried to be spiritual, but I've never just simply said, the death and resurrection of Jesus is what redeems me and saves me. Do that today. Come to your Redeemer and be welcomed into his household. You want to take that step today? Is that you? Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're sitting here with us. Is that you? You want to take that step? Take that step now, please. Today, do it. And if that's you, I just want to leave you, lead you in a simple prayer right there in your heart, silently between you and God. Just pray this prayer to God. Make these words I'm going to say, make them your words to God, beginning this relationship. So quietly there in your seat, repeat these words to God. Say this. God, thank you for loving me so much. Thank you for wanting to redeem me, to pay my debt at such great cost to you. Surrender my life to you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.